Welcome to another edition of the Helipod, everybody. Hard to believe, but uh, we are almost to the end of July. And we do have sports on television, real live sports. Once again, we were choosing from a horn of plenty this weekend, not just UFC and golf, but baseball and basketball are back. The Clippers, unfortunately, going to be without uh, guard Lou Williams. He had to leave the bubble in Orlando to attend a funeral, and then he decided to grab a meal at the Magic City Strip Club. That got out, and all kinds of trouble ensued. According to Lou, it really is his favorite restaurant in Atlanta. Uh, oddly enough, I checked a bunch of top 10 lists, even one top 100 restaurant list in Atlanta. Did not find the Magic City Strip Club anywhere. The reigning sixth man of the year is uh, going to be serving that 10-day quarantine, which will cause him to miss the tip-off of the restart, which begins on July 30th. So he's going to miss a few games for the Clippers. Baseball back as well. Man, that was nice to see. What was not nice to see, a rough start for my Nationals, just one and two bullpen issues once again. Luckily, they're not too far behind anybody because there wasn't a single team in the majors that has started 3-0. and UFC. Wrapped up a successful stint on Fight Island in Abu Dhabi. They're going to be back in the States for UFC Vegas 5 on Saturday. Looking forward to that. As well as getting back to work. Uh, the Contender Series kicks off on August 4th. I'll be calling uh, the first five of those events. So very much looking forward to that. NFL training camp is going to be starting on time. Also, good news. The league and the Players Association tying up the loose ends with the COVID amendments to the collective bargaining agreement. However, instead of 90 players in training camp, there's only going to be 80. So cuts were flying all over the place. Uh, a lot of guys, a lot of teams had to cut uh, players from their roster. So 80 instead of 90, um, that's 320 players who expected to be in training camp who will now not be in training camp. Before we get started, I would love to tell you about my presenting sponsor. They have been with us since day one, Viore. And these clothes have honestly been a staple of my wardrobe for the last couple of years. It's performance apparel that is designed to work out in, but looks so damn good and feels so comfortable, you're going to wear it all day long. They have everything. Shorts, pants, joggers, t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, hoodies, jackets, board shorts, uh, they really have it all. The gear's versatile. I, I can wear it in hot yoga, pick up hoops, or even ride it, uh, ride the Peloton with this stuff. I, I wear it for everything, and it's perfect for traveling when we can do that again or just lounging around the crib. All of my friends that have tried it have absolutely loved it, uh, especially their shorts. The men's short, the core short try that has a built-in liner already. If that's not for you, uh, you can go with the bank shorts. Uh, my wife absolutely loves their joggers. Visit vioriclothing.com slash helipod. That's viori, V-U-O-R-I, clothing.com slash helipod to get 20% off your first purchase today. I promise you, you're going to love it. It's uh, athleisure apparel with an edge. It's good stuff. Um, all right, now to this week's edition of the Helipod. It is Jake Plummer, 10-year NFL quarterback, made a Pro Bowl Played at Arizona State, and then with the Cardinals, and then with the Broncos, of course. Uh, he made all kinds of headlines when he retired at just 32 years of age. I talked to Jake from his home in Idaho, and we got into all of it. Kind of like a, a where are they now helipod. This was awesome to catch up with Jake Plummer. He, uh, he, he gave us the inside scoop on why he decided to retire. He talked about his new passion, which is handball, and his 
uh, new company, a digital playbook company that he calls the Rosetta Stone for learning football playbooks. Jake Plummer, Jake the Snake, uh, our guest on this week's edition of the Helipod presented by Viore. It is my pleasure to be joined by uh, a guy who is basically the same age as me. Jake Plummer, what, what are you now, 44, 45? 45, man, halfway to 90. There you go. That's all I want to do, Jake. I, I, told, <laughs> I told Warren Sapp that a couple of weeks ago. Just get me to 90, and I'm 45 right now. It's a great life. Give me to 90. We're good, right? I figure, I mean, halfway what I've done already, what you've done already, you know, we got another half of uh, our lives to keep doing more good stuff and, and living, man. So, yeah, 90. So long as I can have my mental capacities. If, if I'm in a wheelchair, then that's fine. Just as long as I can think clearly. So doing everything I can to make sure that by 90, I'm still thinking clearly. That's what I'm, I'm more concerned about. <laughs> oh, I'm right there with you, man. And all of our friends who are listening can't see it. But if you're watching on YouTube, you can see those big pine trees in the background. Uh, Jake is at his cabin in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And this is a little bit like, uh, for me anyway, Jake, like a where are they now Sports Illustrated issue. Um, because nice. the last I heard and read about Jake Plummer, obviously, was that he retired early and uh, became a, a world-class handball player <laughs> in Idaho. Are you, still, are you still playing handball? I would play every day if I could. Um, but you know, man, from playing ball, you know, sometimes you, your body doesn't allow you to do some things that you really want to do. So I can, I do it when I can. And then, you know, when I have the little ailment, I got to take some time off, get that fixed and then come back to it. So it's a sport in the game that I played all my life. I truly believe it, it, it enhanced all my skill sets for every sport I played. And uh, it's a fun life sport game. I can play when I was, you know, 30 and retired, I was playing with guys that were 75 years old. So not many sports you can get in a, in a game in a match with with a 75 year old and have fun. And uh, that's what handball provides. So it's a fun game. Like I said, though, it's pretty rough. It's rough on the body, the hands, the back and all that. But if I'm in good shape and doing my yoga and stretching and all that, then I can go out and I can still rip it a little bit. I, I, you say world-class. Uh, I don't think I was very worldly as far as that goes, but I, I had some class on the court at least, but uh, you know, basically just, it was a fun way to transition out of the game. Um, it was something that gave me that camaraderie, the chance to go hang with the guys, play some handball, drink a beer or two, and uh, stay competitive, which is, is a key. So it's, it's definitely a passion of mine to play handball and to teach kids how to play. So, yeah, I, I did retire and, and jump into the handball court pretty quickly. <laughs> I have a new sport for you, Jake, that, that I've picked up in the last few months. I've been playing it here in Manhattan Beach with some buddies, including a former Arizona State guy, my friend Brian Furring. Uh, who is okay. a huge fan of yours, pickleball. Yeah, pickleball man. Pickleball is unbelievable. <laughs> have you played it? I have. You know, it's funny. Last, last winter, I was kind of stoved up, wasn't doing a whole lot active-wise. was nursing like a low back, thinking, oh, man, my back. But, you know, being a, an old grumpy, beat-up football player, and I started playing pickleball. And then I'm looking, and there's these old ladies that can hardly – looks like they're shuffling around and they're whooping my ass on the pickleball court. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm only 44 at the time. I better get up my game. So started playing a little pickleball. It's a great sport. People laugh and think, what? You're crazy. And I love it. It's a, it's again, another sport that you can, you can go play against a 75 year old and have a fun competitive time. And for me, that's what I really like are, are life sports that include all ages, but 
not good for you, man. We have to have to meet you down in Manhattan Beach, play some pickleball, man. I'm sure there's some nice outdoor courts down there. Oh, they're they're amazing. Yeah, that and that's what the you know the the former Sun Devil Brian said. He goes, you got to get the snake down here to play pickleball yeah. with us. I'm actually close to the to the epicenter, Hayden, Idaho, and uh, Post Falls area is like the number one player in the world lives up here. And there's 15 outdoor pickleballs all over the place, pickleball courts all over out here. It's become a, a real hot spot here in North Idaho. The pickleball is huge. So, yeah, man, I'm glad you mentioned that. It reminds me to get my racket and my, my, my pickleballs back out and go play some ball. Uh, there's our, there's our, there are pickleball infomercial at the beginning of the helipod. I love it. And they do call it the fastest growing sport in America. And it's, it, it is. is. It's one of those – it can be a beer-drinking sport. It's great when you play doubles. Um, absolutely love pickleball jake let's let's dive into uh to your career here um a little bit because like like i said we we are the same age so i, I remember most of this vividly but uh but a lot of it when i was doing some research surprised me a little bit um for instance when you came out as a second round uh, draft pick of the cardinals uh in that 1997 draft that was a draft that, that had a couple of hall of famers in it orlando pace was the number one overall pick um tony gonzalez was uh, was 13 overall. Both of those guys, Hall of Famers. You were the second quarterback selected that year behind Jim Druckenmiller, yeah. and the next quarterbacks weren't selected until the fourth round. Danny Werfel and Pat Barnes out of Cal. That's a weird year. We're we're used to seeing three to four, five, sometimes even more quarterbacks go in the in the first round, especially in the first two rounds. What do you remember about that 1997 draft? Oh, man, that was a wild time. You know, after that season we had at ASU, uh, it was a remarkable season. We made a run to almost win a national title and, and come up just mere seconds away from, from, you know, from winning a national title, being a pretty much unanimous undefeated team. Uh, but Ohio State had other plans. We didn't quite pull it out in the Rose Bowl. But, you know, it was a great season. Uh, what was sad was a lot of my buddies that we, I played with never played ball after that. But I knew afterwards that I was going to go on and play more ball. So it was, uh, as it was upsetting to lose that, it was still exciting to prepare now for the draft, which was a whole different time for me. I never really um, – you know, I had a dream and a goal and an ambition to be in the NFL. Uh, you know, I never really thought about it as, as my main motivation. My main motivation was to win the national title at ASU take care of everything I could at Arizona State and then let the let, let everything else fall into place afterwards. Once that season was over and I could focus in on on, on the NFL, that was fun to kind of start training to, to be pursued by Lee Steinberg, the, the super agent. You know, I'm like, man, if he's coming after me, I must have done something right. And so signing with him and then just getting to be uh, like – going to the Phoenix Open and pulling up. And they're like, yeah, Mr. Plummer, right this way. And they give me a, a brand new set of clubs. And all of a sudden, I'm, a, I'm not an amateur athlete. And they're giving me all this free stuff when I now was, I'm going to sign the contract and have money. And they want to give me all this free stuff. So it was, it was a really wild experience. When the draft came around, you know, it was a relief to just finally know what was going to happen for me. Uh, I was actually asleep in my hotel room. We had a room at the, I think it was at the Biltmore my agent had. And I'd been up you know, having a good time with my family the, the nights before and played some golf that morning. And I was hoping to go to a couple teams early, but um, as a 6'2", 195-pounder, I was too too small. I wasn't big enough. I wasn't, uh, you know, strong enough arm or, or didn't have the body type, even though I started uh, from the get-go as a freshman and started, I don't know how many, 40 games in a row and 
really never had any serious injuries, never missed a game. They still didn't think I was durable enough. So you know how that NFL machine goes. And for some reason, you know, the, the Niners outside of uh, Steve Young, when he was getting done or towards the tail end of his career, they, they drafted a, a player who really didn't fit their system, Jim Druckenmiller, because he was a 6'4", 230-pound prototypical quarterback. So I was a little in that – I got drafted in that time when it wasn't all right to draft guys like that. You know, Jeff Garcia was another guy who could play ball but just wasn't big. And, uh, you know, so now I think the, the, the game shifted. People are – the GMs and, you know, scouts and, and, and coaches are accepting athletes. You know, it's Kyler Murray. He's only, what, 5'10"? Right, 5'9". Yeah, yeah. But, he, but, he's, but he's a leader and he's a competitor. And so, you know, coming out when I did, you know, I was a second rounder, which was all right. And I fell to the Arizona Cardinals, which was actually – at the first I was a little bit like, man, I wanted to go somewhere new, maybe to a bigger city, experience a different uh, setting. But when it came down to it, it was super it – was, it was really easy transition going from ASU then now to the Cardinals. I didn't have to get up and move. I had a big support staff already there. I had all my friends from college and support there. So it was an easier transition, and uh, you know, I was happy. It was good. It was fun to go to an organization that hadn't done a whole lot. And so for me, that's why I went to ASU. I wanted to change the culture there and do something special, and I did. And so now when the Cardinals drafted me, it was like, all right, I get another chance to go go play for an organization that hasn't won a lot, hasn't done, done much in the last, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 years at all. And uh, it was exciting to try to go in there and, and, and put my stamp down on an organization and try to become a, a winner. And sure enough, 98, we had a hell of a season and, and made it to the playoffs and beat the Cowboys down in Dallas for the first playoff victory in, in 50 years for that organization, which, you know, when you think about that, we, I won the Super Bowl, but I didn't get a ring. It was like winning the Super Bowl for them, but, no ring involved, but uh, it was exciting getting drafted. Uh, you know, my dream now is, a, is almost a, rea is a reality. Uh, and it was, a, it was a hell of a good time for a young, young kid out of Idaho. So you don't go in the first round. You, you fall to the second round. Um, everybody who's a sports fan around the country saw you play and appreciated your game when you were at Arizona State. But you bring up a good point. You know, you were, you were a smaller quarterback. You would have been a great fit, by the way in that 49ers offense, Ooh, but yeah. you were, you were at home and you go to your first training camp there in Flagstaff, uh, your home away from home rather in, in Arizona. And what Flagstaff, I've made that drive before. What is it about two hours from, from the Phoenix Scottsdale area? A yeah, little bit over an hour and a half, maybe two close to two hours. Yeah. Okay. So you get up, you get up there, it's your rookie year, you know, you're already, you know, big, big name in, in Arizona. What was that like? kind of fitting into that quarterback room and Vince Tobin was the, was the head coach at the time. What was there, were there trials and tribulations or was it pretty smooth from the jump? You know, it, of course there was always to go being a rookie. And back then, you know, there was hazing and, and there were things that the, the vets did to the rookies and they could get away with it and it hadn't quite changed yet. That, that culture of, Hey, you're a rookie and I'm going to you know do everything to make your life miserable. They, they still kind of messed with you, but I had a little bit of uh I got had it a little easier uh, being the, a quarterback. And, 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 you know, Larry Sinners was a guy on that team that really rallied hard for the Cardinals to draft me. Um, from, him, from, from his, you know, time watching me play at Arizona State, being a Cardinal himself, he, he really wanted me to come for them to draft me. And when they did, he kind of took me under his wing, you know. And I don't mean, like, help me out, but he was always there if someone was, you know, he just was there for me, along with, you know, Frank Sanders, Rob Moore, a lot of great vets that really 
they, they bought into who I was. They liked that I was just a scrappy competitor, that what you see is what you get with me. I wasn't big and flashy. I didn't come in in a big, nice car. I just was myself. And so coming to the Cardinals was fun. And uh, I didn't realize I'd start that, that rookie year, but, you know, Kent Graham was, was really helpful as an old, older veteran that knew a lot about the game. You know, he, was, he helped me learn a lot at, that, that I thought I knew coming out of college, but I really didn't know much about defenses and blitzes and, the, oh, they're coming over here. Well, they could show a blitz on the right, but then blitz on the left. So it was a, a whole new, you know, learning process for me. And uh, I, I bought in and learned as much as I could. And so when I first got a chance to play, you know, I was ready. Uh, didn't know mentally, wasn't really ready mentally, but I was ready, you know, to go out there emotionally to lead these guys and give them the spark they needed. And it was exciting. You know, camp and Flagstaff was fun. It was a pain because that elevation and everything. But I had I had the vets on my side a little bit. They liked, uh, you know, they liked what I brought to the table, um, kind of a confidence and a little bit of a scrappy personality. And, and they knew that the team mattered to me. Not just myself wasn't the only person that I cared about, but the whole team. And so as a rookie, it's hard to fit in sometimes, but, but they are pretty nice to me. <laughs> so that, that rookie year, you guys go 4-12 and 12 under, under Vince Tobin. And then that second year rolls around. And you guys were the, were the cardiac cards, right? Yeah. You had a new offensive coordinator, I believe, that year in, in Mark Tressman. Eight of your 16 games. That's half the games were decided by three points or less. And you guys won seven of those, finishing nine and seven. And the game you alluded to earlier was that wild card game against Dallas. And you had lost to the Cowboys already twice during the regular season, right? This is yeah. when the Cardinals were back in the NFC East. Yeah. And you guys are going into Dallas. You got to play the Cowboys. And the cardiac cards, you stepped on their throat from – the opening kickoff, you guys went up 20 to nothing. What do you remember most about that game? Oh, just being down in Dallas, of course, that, 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 that they were dominant. They'd won a couple Super Bowls, I think, you know, with Aikman and Irvin. I mean, they were just a, a dynasty, really. So, you know, we had fought through that first year. And then, of course, my second year as a Cardinal, I remember it shifting in, in the game against Dallas at home where we almost came back and beat them, but we didn't. But I felt like the the fans that were all wearing Cowboys gear in the stadium in, in Arizona, um, you know, that was the hard part playing there is a lot of people would root for the other team coming to town. And we're like, where are our fans? But they started to buy in once we showed that competitive fire and like that we weren't going to give up and quit like other teams had in the past. So, you know, you mentioned that those last, those close games, like the last three games we won, in fine style, like come from behind victories with very little time left. I mean, even to clinch the playoff victory, we kicked a field goal as time expired. So what a wild, exciting, crazy season. And then to go into it and now go down to Dallas and uh, to beat them down there, uh, it was really huge. And I think for that organization at the time, a vote was being um, um, talked about to keep the Cardinals there to build a stadium. So we definitely did it in the right moment for that organization we came together as a team we believed in each other we never gave up there were a lot of fighters and scrappers on that team like Momus Brown Jameer Miller Ronnie McKinnon Kwame Lasseter Aeneas Williams and we had some amazing football players on that team and uh, that that really I think it, it it helped save the Cardinals from from being shipped to LA when we finished that season out and then continued on in the playoffs you know that vote passed 
Um, and I remember, you know, beating the Cowboys was was kind of surreal at the time because it's Troy Aikman. I mean, I watched him growing up. I watched him at ASU to learn how to take a proper drop and t- to try to learn his style and his his mechanics because he had some of the most pure quarterback mechanics I've ever seen. So now to be on that same field with him and to to beat them was amazing. Um, then to go on and play Minnesota down there, which was insane. We lost that game, but I'm on the field with Randall Cunningham my favorite QB as a kid growing up to watch play. And now I'm on the field with him. So for me, I was a little like, Whoa, my God, I'm here. This is it. And I thought, you know, like most people say, my second year, we make the playoffs, we win a game, we lose, Oh, this is going to happen every year. And then, you know, it didn't, it didn't happen. You know, things changed teams, the team changed Some players left, some moves were made that, 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 you know, definitely didn't allow us to continue that. But 98 was a special year. It definitely was one of those, along with my last year at ASU that, that really uh, galvanized me and, and the teams that I were on in that, in that city down in Tempe and Phoenix area. It put us into the history of, of that sports uh, lore because of how we, how we played and how we won and just the characters we had on our team. That was the first playoff win for the Cardinals in 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> and when you guys landed back in Arizona after that game, what did you see? It was wild. We came flying in, and, and they said, check it out. And we, we looked down, and you could see lights on the tarmac. They'd opened up the, the tarmac for fans. There were 8,000 people down there uh, celebrating and hooting and hollering. So when we pulled up in the plane, we got out and came out. I mean, it was like – it was amazing. Uh, you know, the excitement, the, the feeling there, that town had, had yet to experience anything like that. It was the first time the Cardinals had been in the playoffs in 15 years. So I think that the whole time they were in the Valley, they had yet to make the playoffs or they only been, had been in the playoffs maybe once. Uh, so, you know, for that, for the fans, they were waiting for that. And when we came back and just the characters we had on that team, like I said, we were, we were a fun team to watch. We would definitely keep you on the edge of your seat. I mean, my mom talks about that season and how, you know, she lost some years to her life rooting for me that year because it was just so stressful to, you know, we'd go out and a lot of it was due to me and poor play by me maybe in the first, second, third quarter. But as, as a scrapper and a fighter and a believer, you know, I never gave up. And that kind of resonated with my teammates and they, they bought in and we never, ever gave up no matter what the score was. And coming back and seeing all the fans there was amazing. Uh, you know, just to get up there and talk about it, you know, uh, to, to yell and have the fans react. It was really kind of a movie-like setting. And, and like I, I mentioned earlier, you know, I didn't win a Super Bowl, which was my childhood dream, but to win a playoff game that second year, the odds that, that we would even win a playoff game with the Cardinals organization, it's almost like we won a Super Bowl somewhat because that organization had been so, you know, struggled so long. Uh, I wish we could have carried it on a little more, but, but it definitely was a fun year. I, I re-signed my contract that year and, and now became, you know, a multimillionaire and was like, wow, they're going to pay me this much to play. And <laughs> do they know I would play this game for free, but don't ever tell them that. So, but it was a, it was a really wild time, an exciting time um, as, a, as four years at ASU. Then now two years into my Cardinals experience, I've become quite a figure there in, in the sports scene and in the scene in Arizona. And uh, it was fun. Every kid's dream. I was, I was living it and enjoying it and uh, trying to just do my best to keep winning. You were, you were, I mean, you were the biggest star in town. Was that, was, was Barkley there with the Suns during yeah. that time? Yeah, the Barkley, you know, you could say him and I were – and Randy Johnson was there with the Diamondbacks. Oh, my I mean, God. Were, yeah, yeah, there were quite a few uh, 
and then uh, Jeremy Roenick with the with the Coyotes. Coyotes. So there were some some big timers. You know, they're all Hall of Famers. I'm the one who failed to make the Hall of Fame, but but there were some big time players there, and it was fun. Uh, you know, just a good time. You know, to to be in a valley that the sports scene was definitely growing, and to be part of that to to help the Cardinals. You know, kind of like I said, finally become a winner and 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 buy in have have more fans buy into them and, and start supporting them was huge. And again, that vote passed. So right. that stadium that's there now was you know, due to that 98 season was that team getting it done and helping that vote get passed. We, we stumped during the, 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 you know, voting, we were out at the voting center saying vote yes on 301, you know, as players going door to door. Oh, wow. Please vote through. You know, I, I remember on a Saturday going door to door, you know, stumping for the Cardinals to try to get that thing passed. So it doesn't get talked about much, but us as players and as a team, that 98 season, even though we didn't go past the, the second round in the playoffs, it was an amazing football team that really did a lot for that organization. And uh, we all know it. We all appreciate each other. And uh, we don't get together much, but still, you know, I keep in touch with some of those guys. And there were some amazing players on that team. What I can't imagine, listen, you're 45 like I am. You have kids like I do. You're a family man now. But back then, to be a single NFL quarterback in Phoenix after playing at Arizona State, there must have been some wild stories, Jake. Uh, there were a few, you know, I mean, I, I, everybody has some from playing in the league, but I, you know, for me, it, it really, uh, I try to stay real focused, uh, you know, cause, cause easily you could get down and get derailed going down that path. You know, if you were going up Scottsdale too much or going out and, and seeking that, you know, you could find yourself really swimming in deep water. Um, so, you know, I'd already been through a little bit as, as a young kid at Arizona state to learn a little bit of a lesson on, you know, hey, be be careful who you're associating right. with and who you're around and how you handle yourself in public. And like I said, in '98, I resigned and, and became you know a multimillionaire. So I realized, hey, anything you do now, people are watching. All eyes are on you. So I was real careful, and and I had good guidance in that regard. And I had some good people around me that would would be with me at times where you know if I was at a place that was getting wild, it's all right sometimes to stay, but other times it's like, hey, let's get out of here. You know, let's make sure I don't end up on the front page for the wrong reason. Uh, but we had some good times. Uh, you know, more or less the fun times for me were golfing, you know, with my with Dave Brown and Scott Player and and uh, all my guys and just Kwame Lasseter and spending good time with those guys. And, uh, you know, Phoenix and Tempe was a fun place to play. But again, like I said, I try to stay focused during the year. Um, I wasn't going out a lot except after the games. And even then, it was more just spending time with teammates and family. Yeah. Right. You, uh, you have that great, that great second year. Um, and then guys start leaving, and they don't renew contracts, and they get rid of a few guys. And I know that, I know that bummed you out a little bit. And you yeah. never really were able to recapture that, that magic as a team, right, the rest of the, your yeah. next four years there. Yeah, it was tough. We let go – really the, the, the cornerstone of that team was Larry Sinners. And we, you know, we let him go. And I, don't, I still don't know why, but I can remember the meeting with Bob Ferguson. And he said, hey, you know, we're letting go of Larry. And at that time, if I could go back right now, I would have said, well, then you're trading me too and walked right out of there. But, but I didn't. I was like more of a team guy and like in line with, you know, fall in line. You don't, you don't, right. uh, insubordination, you don't go against the head man and what's going to happen. You just get in line and follow it. So no offense to the guy we brought in, Joel McAvicka, but Joel was not Larry Sinners. And, uh, you know, we, we let go of Jameer Miller, another just phenomenal football player, not only on the field, but just a great leader, 
um, a, a guy who just had the confidence and Lomas Brown and just a, a number of guys that we, we didn't keep around um, that were really cornerstones to what we had built there in those couple years that I was there. And it's hard once you do that. You bring in young guys and it's just not the same. So it was tough because that, that next year, a lot of expectations were, all, were on our team. In the preseason, I had, a, I, I had a guy hit the ball out of my right hand, hold on to my right thumb and damn near rip it off. So instead of taking like four weeks off to let it heal and strengthen it up, I still played through all that because I felt the pressure that I had to be there. And I had to be the guy and I had to play early and I had to keep it going. But in turn, I had my worst season ever. I just didn't have the, the velocity on the ball. I couldn't grip the ball, but I still was trying to make those throws. So 90, 99 season was a really, really hard season. We lost a lot of games, and it, it just was a downer after that 98 year. And then we had a couple three and 13 years that were, oh, boy, that was tough. Um, you know, Vince Tobin getting fired, and then Dave McGinnis, who was just a phenomenal coach, a great guy. We loved – all of us loved him dearly, a, a true players coach. But then, uh, you know, having his hands tied and just what we couldn't pull off as an organization, um, it was tough. It was a hard few years there, but I kept scrapping and I kept fighting. And, you know, in, in turn, that's how I've gained, you know, and kept the respect of my teammates and others just through continuing to try to fight through all that and to find ways to win and, and keep it going. I'm glad to hear that about Coach Mack. I get the opportunity yeah. to see him uh... – Every preseason, I do the games for the Tennessee Titans in the preseason, and Coach Mack does the radio call there with Mike Keith. Uh, what a yeah. great broadcast dude. He's awesome, man. Does he have stories or what? That dude is awesome. Oh, he's just like that. He is like the story man, but he's like a character out of a book, man. When you see him, you just you, – you can't help but feel better when you see a guy like him. And he really was a, a phenomenal coach. It's too bad we didn't win because I think he could have been gone on and been a head coach for many, many years. But – you know, things happen for a reason, and, and he's found himself a nice niche. But, yeah, we all love Coach Mack. I mean, what a, what a great guy. So you, you get to the end of your six-year stint with the Cardinals. Um, sounds like you had pretty much made up your mind that you were, you were going to go somewhere else, and you end, up, uh, you end up signing with the Broncos. And you go from a couple of three and 13 seasons to uh, making the playoffs, what, three, four straight years – yeah. Uh, with, with Mike Shanahan there. And this is the end of a 10-year run in Arizona, right? Four years yeah. at Arizona State, six years with the Cardinals. That transition to Denver was like what for you? It was pretty amazing. You know, for me, I actually was I – was, I was ready to stay in Arizona if they were going to do the things that I, I, had, I had realized now after six years, if they were going to start doing the things to try to win. Right, but they actually were ready to let me go in a, in a way, and uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'd done what I could do there, and, and it was time. It definitely was uh, exciting to have a fresh start and to to be pursued. I remember the last game of the year was actually in Denver, and the crowd in Denver was chanting, "We want Jake, we want Jake." Oh, I don't remember I was, that. That's awesome. Yeah, they knew I was a free agent, going to be a free agent, and they knew they were going to be in the market for another quarterback. So I'm leaving that t that field, and I'm. It was a January, early January game, and it's sunny and nice there, you know, 50 degrees. Like, wait, Denver's supposed to be cold and snowy. <laughs> so when I was a free agent, I, I made trips to Denver and to Chicago. Um, you know, when I was in Chicago in March, it was sleet, rain, cold. I loved the allure of Chicago, and it, they had a great organization, one that I remember playing, uh, paying attention to when I was a kid. Uh, and it would have been a good decision to go there, but I felt like, man, I want to go to Denver. Denver seems to me like the, the more 
the, the organization that's done it more consistently and the ability to play for Shanahan and Kubiak and, and play on a team like that was really, uh, you know, the, the deciding factor. I had to eliminate the cities and the allure of, you know, Chicago and the blues scene and that real awesome down like town to be in because I'd never lived in a big city like that. And I had to just put it down to like playing football, football. How can I go there? What can I go do? Because my goal still was to win a Super Bowl and, that's when I decided to go to Denver and man, what a great organization. One of the best sports organizations around. And uh, I had a great time there. Uh, we, we almost did it. We almost made it in 05, but, but to get there and have Shanahan and the opportunities they provided was really cool. Yeah. The first two seasons, you guys go 10 and six, you lose in the wild card game to uh, the Colts and in Peyton Manning twice. And then you talk about 05, you guys were 13 and three that year and you handed Tom Brady his first ever playoff loss and made it all the way to the AFC championship game. Yeah, that was a big time season. It was, uh, you know, a chance, you know, why I went there really. Um, and, and to get there the first year in the playoffs, you know, we got whooped. <laughs> we got whooped in the playoffs uh, by Indianapolis. And then uh, the next year, you know, to, 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 to go through it again and, and again get beaten in that third year in 05, we put it all together. Um, we had a really solid football team a really, really good football team. In fact, you know, we got off to a slow start against Pittsburgh, uh, fell behind, and that was really the, the, the problem for us. We just couldn't come back, claw back into that. But, you know, we got close. Uh, I, I, I think back every year when it's playoff time and getting close to the, NF, to the Super Bowl, I'm always, yeah, damn it, you know, we were so close. You know, if we beat the Steelers at home, everything aligned for us. You know, I get my chance to go, you know, really achieve my dream, which was to win a Super Bowl. It's the only reason I, I went through all of this was as a kid, I wanted to have a Super Bowl championship. And, uh, you know, in, in 05, I actually had plans to, to you know, to, to win the Super Bowl. And then from, from there on the podium with the MVP trophy, say goodbye, because that's really why I came, was to win a Super Bowl. I didn't, didn't come there to win five, six, or seven of them. I just came to win one. And it didn't happen. So, you know, after 09, after that 05 season, I, I, I gave it some thought and, uh, but still was ready to come back for that last year of mine, that 10th season. But that Denver organization, they did everything possible. They did everything in the world that you could imagine, uh, Mr. Boland, to, to make the players feel comfortable and be able to focus on what we needed to focus on, which was getting prepared to go play the best ball we could. And not that the Cardinals didn't do that. They tried but the Broncos had already achieved that and done that in the past. So it was just so nice to play for an organization that put us first always and made sure we had everything we needed so we could just go out and play ball. And when you have an owner like that, you really actually you play harder because, you, you, you know, the owner, you love him, you want to be around, around him, and, and you really want him to have success. And I love playing for the Broncos. I wish I could have got there a little sooner in my career because uh, I think we probably would have won a couple Super Bowls. Well, they already had that foundation laid, obviously, with John Elway and TD and uh, yep. Rod Smith and, and that whole crew. That, I just want to rewind for a second. So that was your dream? You wanted to, to win the Super Bowl and then announce your retirement on stage, <laughs> holding the Lombardi Trophy and walk off into the sunset? Well, not, not quite all the other stuff, but just my dream was to win a Super Bowl as a kid. That's why I right. was in the NFL. I wanted to get a ring to be in a Super, Super Bowl and be a Super Bowl champ. You know, that's a – at the tail end there, that, that, that season, I had some pretty serious injuries that I was nursing and working through, like a, a torn pubic synthesis, which I don't know if many people know what that is, but it's basically deep down in your groin where your pelvic bone is, is where your abs attach. And I'd torn mm. part of those from the bone. 
So, you know, for the last few weeks of the season, it was, it was, there was a lot of pain and agony. And uh, I was taking a lot of not painkillers, but a lot of anti-inflammatories. And I grew up with a mother that, that really preached, uh, you know, knowing what you're putting in your body. Uh, she was very holistic, very health food oriented. So I, I didn't want to do this for too long because I didn't want to have damage done to my body through all these pills. So I knew that I knew from the get go, I wasn't going to play this game for a long, long time. I'm, I'm 6'2", 180 pounds now. My body is not the body of a, of a football player to play for a long, long time. So when I was close to winning that Super Bowl, we were almost there, you know, it dawned on me like this would be the perfect time to just say, thank you, I'm out. I've made a ton of money, more than I ever dreamt I would make. And there it was, that dream would have been uh, achieved and I could have gone on and rode off into the sunset. But it didn't quite work out that way. Uh, but it's all right. I came back for a 10th. 10th season, which was good because I felt, you know, even 10 years to be double-digit career uh, and have a really good career, start all 10 of those years, you know, uh, put, put together a really solid career and uh, some great experiences. Yeah, put together a remarkable career. The 10th year was interesting, though, because they, they drafted Cutler. Yep. And then you get benched. They start Cutler the last few games of the year. And then there was kind of a falling out for you, right? You're traded to the Bucs. You never play there, but you didn't talk to Shanahan for a while. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, that was an interesting deal because I remember when the draft went down and I was thinking, you know, all right, we're going to see who we draft. Like, let's see who we can – who we pick up here because we're real close, right? We're, we're in the AFC Championship game, and we just – we lose that game. So, as a team, we knew we had all the pieces. We just needed to add a few more. And they draft a quarterback when I felt like, man, I'm doing my job here. I'm doing everything I can. I'm the guy. And then they go get a quarterback, which I understand. You got to look out for the future. But it, did, it didn't bother me much. It just was one of those like, God, did we need to get a quarterback? What if we would have got, you know, a, 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 diff, a great, you know, running back or an amazing receiver or a phenomenal free safety or something else in that draft that would have helped our team get better and then go pursue, you know, what my 10th season, we could have gone even further. Uh, but, but anyway, it didn't happen. And through all of that, uh, you know, it was hard getting benched because I'd never really been benched before. And I, at first I wasn't the greatest teammate, but then I bought into, all right, here I am. I, I, I'm, it's not over. I still could get a chance to play. So I got back into the flow of it and became, you know, a leader on the sidelines because Jay was young and he needed help. He wasn't quite the leader that I was. That team was still mine my teammates and, and the guys still still would gain motivation and inspiration from me, even though I wasn't starting. But it was kind of nice those last five games to like not have that stress. I could eat food again on the road. I'm drinking beers on uh, Saturday night. That what do you mean eat food out. again on the road? Just be able to eat again. Cause like you're nervous, right? On Saturday nights and it was hard to eat dinner and hard to eat in the mornings. And just cause your nerves are built up being QB number one, there was just you didn't sleep well. You were constantly – I was stressed out all the time, you know, being that guy. And it was kind of nice to, as, I, as I'm talking here, to, to, to sit back and kind of reflect on my career because I knew now, like, I'm done now. If I'm getting benched at the end of my career when I'm giving it my all, this game is not for me anymore. I need to go. So I knew that at the end of this year, I started contemplating retirement already. I already thought about it the year before. Now that I've been benched, I was like, hey, this is time to go. I'm on anti-inflams. Like, get, getting up uh, out of a car ride for 40 minutes. I'm, I'm limping, and I'm, on, I'm only 30. It's like, okay, this, this is time for me to really think about 
possibly retiring and saving my knees, my back, my neck, and my body from, from being just a mess. So those last games gave me a chance to reflect, to really enjoy the process, to smell the stadiums and get there early and not have that stress of QB number one, but to be able to still be part of it. So it was hard, but then again, you know, it, it's what happens. You know, whatever happens is meant to happen. And, uh, you know, Jay was their guy now, and he went on and, and showed, you know, that he was a pretty good player but wasn't quite the leader that I was. Um, and I was okay, you know, with Shanahan. We had a falling out. It wasn't so much that we hated each other or got, got mad at each other. It was just things he told me that I should do, I did. And then in the long run, he came back and, and used me as an example for, for not to do those kind of things. So there was a few just – miscommunications, I guess you could say, uh, between me and him. But, but we buried the hatchet a few years back. I, I called him up. We had lunch. I, you know, I apologized for a few things I said about his coaching style and leadership qualities and then uh, told him, you know, without his, leader, without his tutelage and, and, and schooling and the ability to put me in position to succeed, you know, those four years I spent in Denver really gave the, the NFL a chance to see, like, I could play ball. I was a good quarterback, one of the best in the game. And he really brought that out with his mad scientific ways of, of, of putting an offense in position to succeed. So I told him, I, I thanked him for everything and told him, you know, I wouldn't, I, I, I you know, to go back, I might've done a few things differently, but, but the way it is is the way it is. And we gave each other hugs and we still are in communication now. So, you know, it didn't, it didn't end the right way, but now we're all good. Everything's moved on from, from that time. I got to know Mike a little bit when I covered the Redskins and did his coaches show um yeah. one season and um I, I like Mike but I, I've heard the same similar stories from other veteran players uh when they get to the end of their careers um with Mike what was that like when you had lunch and got to kind of air your grievances was it was it painful was it therapeutic how did you feel it was real therapeutic yeah uh, you know for me when I retired into my 10th season going into that year, you know, Mike was wanting me to start reading the defensive line alignment and, and see if the guy was in a three or a three I. And then if that was the case, I'd be able to go now to the safety and know, even if he was 30 yards off the ball, that he was coming down on the ball. What Mike didn't realize is it was extremely difficult for me just to remember the formation, the protection, the play call, the progression, and then if there were any adjustments to that, now he wants me to read the, the D lineman and then change things. Like it just was too much for my brain. I didn't have the right. high level Peyton Manning brain. You know, I call it the Peyton Manning effect because he'd kicked our ass twice in the playoffs just by changing plays on the field himself. And I think Mike wanted that for me. But in the tail end of my career, it was a really hard thing for me to to now start to try to do when I'd done just fine till now. Now he wanted a totally different player to come out of me. And it was just too much. Um, I was more read and react than, you know, predict and, and go after these guys, which is the way I played. So that was hard. And I think that through that all through the, through the off season conditioning and some things that he told me, you know, you know, Hey, go, go do what you're doing, man. I was spending a lot of time up here in Coeur d'Alene and I came back and was ripping the ball, feeling really good, getting ready to go into my 10th season. Uh, I'd met an amazing woman and was spending time with her and just in a good space mentally and physically. And, uh, you know, things were good. And then all of a sudden to be used as, a, as an example 
after he told me to do some things, it was hard. So that's where the first little bit of, of turmoil started. And then through the season, you know, Kubiak was gone. Kubes was my guy who would take all those last minute um, modifications to the game plan or the new, new red zone play that's going in on Friday night or Saturday morning. It's like, yo, we haven't had a time to rep this. But that was Mike. He was constantly evolving his offense, and he was a mad scientist that wanted to find the play that was going to make the difference. And for me, that was tough. So my 10th year was hard. We did butt heads quite a bit. But burying that hatchet felt really good. To tell him, you know, thank you for everything he did, to, to apologize for saying some things I said about his coaching style, which is, you know, because last year he kind of took me – and made me fit into a box of his. When, when I was a real expanded player, he tried to put me back into this little box of being a Peyton Manning type player, stay in the pocket, make the checks, go through your progressions, throw the ball away if it's not there. That was never my style. So, um, you know, there's nothing, grudges are no good to hold on to. Um, I think he felt better about it. Also knowing that I didn't, didn't hate him. Uh, there was no reason for me to hate a coach that did so much for my career um, and put me in position to, to really, like I said, I felt like for four years there to be one of the best players in the, in the NFL at the quarterback position. Um, and when you say that, you're saying you're one of the best in the entire world. So he gave me that opportunity and put the pieces into place. And, uh, you know, I had no, no hard feelings. Let's take a quick break now so we can tell you about some of our new sponsors. And we start with Greens Plus, a health food leader since 1989 known for creating the first ever blended green superfood powder and the first company to infuse green superfoods into a bar. Greens Plus bars and powders, incredibly tasty. Man, I love these things. They're the most effective way to improve your immunity, detox your body, boost your energy, and get the nutritional insurance that your body deserves. It's all organic, gluten-free, soy-free. It's a premium green superfood that I want you to try right now. You can go get it at Whole Foods or on Amazon. Or if you want to save some money, go to greensplus.com. You get free shipping and 20% off using the promo code Heli. That's 20% off from greensplus.com using the promo code Heli. I love the, pro the chocolate protein bars and the wild berry superfood powder. Two new sponsors to tell you about, Vaco at Vaco. The motto is we invest in your career, so you are here for the duration of hours. I have known the founders of this company since my days in college. Vaco is a premier talent and solutions firm that provides boutique level service with global reach in the areas of consulting, consultative project resources, executive search, permanent placement, and strategic staffing. You need somebody to fill a C-suite level position? Vaco has you covered. Their areas of expertise are aplenty. Accounting, finance, technology, healthcare IT, operations, administration, or international managed services. Since it was founded in 2002 by my good buddy, Brian Waller, Vaco has grown to serve over 40 markets across the globe, 1,000 employees, 5,000 consultants, and 750 million in revenue. At Vaco, they do it right. Check them out, vaco.com, V-A-C-O.com for more information on how Vaco connects people to their dream jobs and helps leading companies find talent to grow their business. So I started taking this product uh, a couple of weeks ago called True Niagen to invest in my long-term health. And I think you should too. A new trend in the scientific community surrounds the health of our cells. This is something that affects all of us from pro athletes to the weekend warriors. We have something in our cells called NAD, 
which supports our energy and our body's ability to repair itself all the way down to the cellular level. Well, it turns out that NAD declines as we age. It also declines when we overexercise, don't sleep enough, and even when we're exposed to a virus. There's only one NAD booster that is backed by Nobel Prize winning scientists, 10 published human studies, and regulatory approvals for safety, and that is TrueNiogen. Additionally, TrueNiogen is NSF certified for all sports. Visit TrueNiogen.com to learn more. That's TrueNiogen.com, T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N.com to learn more. Were you ever going to play for the Bucs? Did that cross your mind for one second? Not one second. I was done. And, uh, you know, when I told him on the phone, he didn't believe it. And so he traded who, my rights. Who are you to talking the, to, the Bruce Allen? Mike, Mike Shanahan. Oh, Mike. I told okay. Mike, I'm retiring. I'm done. I don't want to play anymore. He still traded me. But that's the business side of the NFL. That was a business move. Mike knew that he could get a draft pick out of me. And the Bronco or the Buccaneers knew that if I came, great. They might have their quarterback. But if I didn't, they could go after the, the signing bonus that, uh, that I was due, that, my, that Bowling wasn't going to collect on, that was part of my contract. But either they got me and gave up a six-round pick, and if I didn't show up, they got $3 million. So for, for them, it was a business move strictly with the opportunity to maybe get me as their quarterback. And Gruden wanted me. I mean, it would have been a fun situation because Gruden, great coach, great offensive mind. But at that point, I was done. Um, like I said, I'd, I'd, I'd met somebody I wanted to, you know, explore, spending the rest of my life with. So we started traveling, me and uh, now my wife and mother of my kids. And, and I had other things in mind that I wanted to do. Uh, mainly just to be free of the stress involved and to go play play handball and to go, uh, you know, enjoy the world, travel and, and be with my family. So interesting situation. I want to get to all that in just a second, but the contract stuff fascinates me. You, you had a signing bonus that you had already been paid that mm-hmm. Bowen was going to let you keep. But once you got traded, did you have to cut a check to the Buccaneers for the portion of that signing bonus that, that you owe to them? Yeah, yeah, that was the tail end of it. I had to give back uh, some of the bonus, which, you know, I was, I was fine, man. They paid me plenty of money to play ball. So for me, it was like, you know, hey, all right, you guys want to take this back? That's fine. Go ahead. Mr. Boland said, just go down there. Just go down and go through the motions. And I, 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 you know, I told him, you know, you know me better than that. I can't go down there and go through the motions. If I go down there and put a helmet on, I'm going to go win that job and take that team to, the, to a Super Bowl. You know, that's, my, that's how I work. So for me, it was just, I was done mentally, right. physically. I was tired of the, the media, how they just continued to portray, you know, whatever image they wanted, they could, they could write about. There was no, no checks and balances there. Uh, no research done on uh, the true heart and soul of that, that team that I was on with the Broncos. Just some guy writing some article, you know, to make himself feel better. So all of it combined was enough for me to be ready to, to go. Plus, my body was pretty beat up. I'd played 10 straight years and four straight years prior to that. So 14 straight years of high-level football. My body was done. My, mentally, I was done. And I, I didn't walk away from the game early. I played 10 years. And people forget that, that I did. I played 10 years. But some of those were lost, you know, with the Cardinals. There was a few years there that were really taxing. It took a toll on my body. And my, and my spirit and for the game then with all those, you know, those three and 13 years were tough. But uh, after 10, I was ready to go. So the, the Bucks they made a money grab. Uh, they thought they could get me, but in turn, they didn't. And uh, Gruden, you know, we don't have any hard feelings either. I've talked to him since, you know, he wanted me bad. And 
it's nice to retire and be wanted rather than, you know, a lot of my buddies that, that retire, they're kicked out of the league. And that, that leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. So for me, the bitter taste was, was less about the NFL kicking me out. It was more about how things went down with Mike and, and that whole process. But in, in, in the long run, I've come, I've worked through all that and uh, been very, uh, you know, proud and, and, and feel good about how I played my and approached my career and, and, and pretty much retired early. A lot of people now see like, wow, you were smart to do that. And, you know, for me, I was trusting what I felt inside and, and that's really what I went with. Yeah, it's interesting when you say 10 years, it is easy to forget that you played a decade in the yep. NFL because you, you retired at 31 and quarterbacks just don't do that anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, I know Brady's an anomaly, but you have all these guys, you know, Breeze and Rodgers and Rivers who are playing uh, into their late 30s and, and early 40s now. Um, when I was l watching a few things on you doing research for this interview, I stumbled across uh, an interview you did with Dan Patrick a few years ago and he was kind of grilling you about a comeback at 41. Was that something that you ever, <laughs> you ever contemplated? Because, you know, I work, I work with Kurt Warner who, you know, played for the, with the Cardinals. And I, I swear Kurt still believes he could come back to this day and at least be effective for a game. And who knows, I wouldn't doubt him. <laughs> I, I, you know, there were a few moments that I thought about it. Um, it's funny though. And I, when I considered that and like, cause Kubiak, you know, was really, Gary was my, one of my favorite coaches. When he was in Houston, I just – if I could have gone to Houston, not Tampa Bay, I would have considered maybe playing another year. Um, although, you know, I got married in August that after that 10th year. So, you know, I had plans to go do something else besides football. But if I were to come back and do what I always felt was kind of silly, these guys retired and then they'd unretire, it would have been probably only for Gary Kubiak to go play for him. There was a moment or two where I started thinking about it and contemplated it and then you know what happened in that process of me mentally how I what kind of person I became it just didn't jive well with me I was like all of a sudden uh just a different person um you know people don't realize you know football players especially playing quarterback position where all eyes are on you you know you, it's whether it's your ego or or, or your your personality you you encapsulate and become somebody that you know you have to be to be that guy when deep down you may be a completely different person when you're at home or with your family or outside of the scene and the eyeballs of everybody watching you. So, you know, I was Jake the snake on the field, but at home I was Jason Plummer. I was just the guy that a normal guy, a good guy, a down to earth person. And so for me that, that, you know, to, to think about coming back, put me, put me into like this weird, like, Oh my God, look what I got to, I got to commit to this. And I, I, I started to think about it. And my wife was like, have you been thinking about playing ball or something? Because you're acting real crazy lately. And I was like, yeah, I kind of have been thinking about it. She said, oh, my God, you're just a totally different person. And so <laughs> at that point, I do scrap all those plans. Stop thinking about ball. If I want to do anything with ball, you know, it's got to be talking about it or helping kids, you know, coach kids, giving them some of the knowledge I have. And, and then it was easier to buy in and be, you know, okay with everything I did on the field and, and you know, that brand of the, low, of the NFL will precede us wherever we go. Um, so use that to your advantage and use it to do good. And, and that's kind of what I've been trying to do. Although, you know, even now I'm, I'm at 45, as you well know, you know, you reevaluate your life and where you're at and go, God, I got to get busy doing something again because we're destined for greatness. You know, if you play in the NFL and you do these kind of things and achieve those, the things that we achieved and that I achieved to play ball, you know, really anything you set your mind to is possible. So that's the challenge now I face is to, to 
find what that next thing is and, and, and get, get after it. So when you retired, how long did you take just to, to decompress? So you retired 31, you get married right before you retire. Is it Colette? Am I saying her name right? Yep. Yep. Who was a former Broncos cheerleader. You were just, you were excited about that next uh, segment of your life. And you, you go back to Idaho, right? Northern Idaho, Coeur d'Alene area. Yep. Yep. Up in Sandpoint on 48 acres. (laughs) There was nobody around. (laughs) And, and so you're doing, you're doing what? And how long did you do that? Before you answer that, I got to ask you one real quick thing. I I saw that you hiked the Sawtooth for like a week without a map, which is a huge mountain range (laughs) that runs through Idaho. Is that true? Uh, not a week without a map. I mean, I was in there with my family, my brothers, we, we, we grew up in the sawtooth. So it was a way to, to get away and to get up into the woods and, and be free. And so I, I haven't gone in a few years, but it's something that you know, a lot of my family still does. Uh, yeah, the sawtooths are beautiful, you know, just to get up on those high mountain lakes oh, and yeah. go out on hikes where you don't know where you're going. You just kind of take off and then find your way back. And there's, there's uh, amethyst crystals up there and it's just a really spiritual place, a, a place to go kind of decompose and, and decompress and not decompose but decompress uh and i used to go in the off season i'd go and even came back a few times after falling and scratching myself up and my coaches are just going oh my god because you know they don't they don't want you to play basketball anymore now if you're an nfl football player right. or even in college it's like oh don't do anything you did to get yourself to this point let's let's stunt your athletic ability and only work on football drills so for me i never bought into that part of getting ready for the, the season was to, to not train hard the week prior to camp, but was to more or less remove myself from football and go be in the mountains and be free or come up here to Coeur d'Alene and go swimming and boating. And one year I was wakeboarding uh, so much that I came into camp and I had the tightest IT band I've ever had in my right leg. And I had to get treatment from the get. And the coaches or the trainers are like, what's going on with you? Why, why is your leg hurting? I'm like, I don't know. It's just been bugging me, but I'd been wakeboarding like mad leading up to the season because, you know, for me, it was a way to free my mind of the, the stressful, crazy expectations that were heaped onto me in this, this now like 16 week season that was upon us. I had to release. I had to have that moment of release where I could just be free of all thought of football. And that's what the sawtooths, uh, you know, really provided. So, um, and back to your other, your other question about what I would do. I mean, I did whatever I wanted, you know, I'd, I was paid more money than I ever expected. Uh, I retired. I'd gotten married to, you know, my sweet, my sweet wife now that, you know, Mr. Boland gave me permission to date. You know, yeah, how, did that, how did that work out? Because you guys aren't supposed to date cheerleaders. Yeah, you know, she, she asked me to dance one night downtown Denver, and we started hanging out a little bit. And before we moved much further, I, I asked Mr. Boland if it'd be okay for me to date another employee and, and, I just wanted him to know that it wasn't just a, a, a fling. It was someone I really enjoyed being around, an amazing woman. And uh, she, he gave me the permission. So, you know, I have Mr. Bowen to thank for, you know, what I've created now and the, the, the lady I've married who's an amazing woman and been able to, to continue to grow and become the man I am. So, yeah, Mr. Bowen was uh, a big part of that. You know, Jason Elam married a cheerleader, and, and he told me, you know, way back, you know, hey, I went and talked to Mr. Bowen, make sure that it's right out there in the, in the open so there's Smart. no – nothing comes back on this. And, uh, it was good. Uh, Mr. Bowen gave me a lot of great advice, uh, uh, you know, throughout my post career even. And it was sad to see him deteriorate and go a true legend of the game. I mean, one of the best, not the best owner ever, I think in sports. So uh, great, great guy. And, uh, yeah, you know, so 
even, you know, my, that year in 05 when I made the Pro Bowl, I didn't go to the Pro Bowl. And people like, why didn't you go to the Pro Bowl? Well, the Broncos coaching staff was coaching the AFC team, so I'd seen their faces plenty and was ready to, you know, <laughs> no way. Plus, I had that really bad injury in my groin. I would not have even been able to play. And at that moment in my life, I was – I was – I'd fallen in love and deep was falling more in love with, with, you know, my girlfriend at the time we were in Costa Rica during the pro bowl. We went on vacation. We went on some trips. So when I got done playing ball, I started traveling and we traveled to a lot of destinations. I'd always wanted to go. I found an awesome person to travel with that I loved and had fun with. So you asked me what I did when I retired, I did whatever the hell I wanted to, whenever I wanted to and lived on 48 acres, played a ton of handball, uh, just, had fun skied without worrying about anything and went out you know on mountain biking and just just enjoyed life without the stress involved of being QB number one and uh you know all the all the the things that go along with playing ball it was an enjoyable time it was a lot of fun when I grow up I want to be like Jake Plummer man I just bought a I just bought a mountain bike I love doing that I love skiing with my wife traveling the world I mean Coeur d'Alene's a beautiful place where where did you enjoy or what surprised you the most in terms of places you visited? Oh, man, you know, there was a lot. We went to the Caribbean quite a bit, which was fun. You know, a place like St. Lucia was unbelievable. Just, uh, you know, seeing the people there, uh, being on an island where you're just, you know, out in the middle of the ocean and you can go out and find food and uh, get fresh seafood and and, and experience a real culture uh, of people that they're on an island. So they're all about culture and tradition. And then, Traveling through Europe was a blast. Uh, you know, a place I know if I can go, need to go hide out or get away, you know, somewhere in the Bavarian Alps, uh, that's where I'll be. If I have to get away, if I've done something wrong or people are chasing me, I'm out <laughs> going to Germany or somewhere uh, in Europe and just disappearing because there's so much beauty out there. And so it was a lot of fun. Uh, Prague was a city that, you know, if I could go back to and, uh, it, you know, as a kid coming out of high school, going straight to college, and then having a job right away out of college in the NFL, if I ever was not in that position, if I was to go back and like graduate from college with no idea what I was going to do next, I'd go live in Prague. That was an amazing city. So beautiful. The artists on the bridge, the, the layout of the town, the, just the feeling of being in Europe and everything was a lot of fun. And to have someone to travel with was really a blast. Me and my wife had a good time doing that before we had kids. Um, now we got three kids, a 10, an almost seven-year-old, and then a three-year-old. So they take up all, a lot of our time now. But uh, as you know, man, you got to keep evolving as, as an adult and, and learning and growing. And that's what we're in the challenge to be faced with daily now. And it's a good challenge. Boys and girls? Two boys and a little girl. Oh, you got a, you got a while. So my, my daughter just turned 14. So I'm, I'm dealing okay. with all the dating and all that stuff. My, my head is about to explode on a daily basis trying to process this, Jake. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm just working on what's the next snack, man. So I'm all right with that. <laughs> uh, I'll wait till she's 14. Don't need that anytime soon. <laughs> you, got, you got plenty of time, man. But you're, now you're, you're keeping busy. You're, you, you were involved with a, with a CBD company a few years ago. I don't know yep. if you're still doing that. And um, you've been doing some TV stuff in Denver. Uh, you know, talking about the Broncos the last couple of years, is that all still, still going on? Yeah, I kind of backed off from that a little bit. Um, you know, sometimes those things get redundant when you're just talking ball and week yeah. to week, you know, something Mark Tressman taught me uh, early on at when struggling in 99, he said, listen, 
these articles have been written for years and years and years. It's, there's no difference. There's, all they do is change the score, the names, and the date and where it was played. But the written article's still the same. So, you know, it was uh, you know, <laughs> that that was one part of it that was kind of strange. But um, yeah, I lost track of where we were going there. We're talking so, about talking about being an analyst, doing the TV work in Denver. Oh yeah, yeah. So it, I did. I did some TV, some radio, worked for the Pac-12. That was all a lot of fun, but. Uh, you know, the, the family grew to three and I, I felt needed, was needed at home more. Um, so I backed off from doing some of that. The CW was great. The Charlotte's Web hemp oil was a lot of fun to, to, to bring that to, to former players that really needed it. Uh, a lot of guys benefited greatly from, from taking hemp oils and uh, not only hemp oils, but just medicinal marijuana and, and hemp together, finding right. a better way to, to alleviate pain to alleviate anxiety, depression, to sleep better. I, I was able to help a lot of former players improve their lives and, and also give them something to get into. Because after you're done playing, it's finding that next thing. It's finding what you're passionate about. What can you get into? That was something that was a lot of fun to do. Um, but along, the, along that time, I got involved with a friend of mine developed a, a digital playbook called Ready List Sports. And so I became a founder in that, invested in that. And so I've been involved with that for the last five years, therefore stepping away from doing a lot of the advocacy for hemp and for, uh, you know, a better way of living and, and, and alternative medicines and medicinals, you know, things that people didn't understand. Uh, you know, they felt that there was a stigma around hemp and marijuana and all of that. So I kind of backed off to focus on, on what was important for my, my boss and CEO, Chad Prehoff was our company. You know, I mm -hmm. put that number one, tried to help build that, that out. And, and, and we're building, we're growing, we're gaining clients. It's just a tough process to get coaches to change the way they do things. But, but more coaches are seeing what we've developed and they're getting excited about it. Um, I didn't realize being an entrepreneur in the tech space, what it would entail. It takes a lot longer than I thought to, to grow something. You just have to be patient. So for me, it's, it's continuing to work down that road. And then also getting involved in some other, um, you know, other alternative forms of medicine, one of them being not psilocybin mushrooms necessarily, but just mushroom tinctures in general and, and the, the healing powers that are involved in mushrooms and also the healing powers that are involved in psilocybin, uh, and a hallucinogenic, uh, you know, mushroom, that, that compound that can help a lot of people with a lot of different ailments. Some of them, you know, what football players go through, PTSD, anxiety, depression, you know, so for me, it's been fun to be exposed in Colorado to some free thinking people that, that want to find better ways to treat these ailments rather than just send people down the pharmaceutical road where here's a pill, then you need another pill, then that pill loses its efficacy. So here's another pill. Meanwhile, you can't take a dump. You have sore bones and bodies. You're miserable inside, but you're being told you should be healthy and you're wondering why, why you're not. So for me, it's, it's another opportunity down the road here as, I, as I'm trying to find that next thing to get involved with helping people find a better way to approach their health and wellness, to live a little bit healthier and, and cleaner lives and to, to you know, keep evolving as humans. So for me, that position and uh, uh, being able to be on TV, to still be relevant after being retired for a while, that's a big thing. But to have a voice and to advocate for, for living a healthier lifestyle um, it's something I'm going to continue to do, and it's fun to be involved in. Well, I love it. Sounds like a pretty diverse playing career. I, I've read a lot of articles about the the shrooms and hallucinogenics, and in Colorado, are they legal now? 
for medical no, they're, use? they're still trying to just get them off of that class one, schedule one, you know, list uh, so that then they can be researched. Um, until that happens, it's hard. But Johns Hopkins is doing some research, um, you know, to be involved with the hemp movement and the CBD. Uh, we broke down a lot of barriers. Uh, I can recall doing a ton of interviews like this where the first thing they'd say is, yeah, we're here with, with pothead Jake the Snake Plumber. And I'm like, <laughs> guys, I'm not a pothead. Like, because that term, as we're realizing even in today's world with, with Black Lives Matter, and just terms and how you use them, even though it's a word that everybody uses, it has right. a connotation that can speak volumes. You, you know, what's interesting, Jake, is that um, CBD and marijuana has always had this, um, historically, this, this negative stigma, as, as you alluded to, and living in California now where um, it's, it's everywhere. Heck, all you have to do is go on, you know, social media and you see all these former players that are endorsing the benefits of CBD. So I, I don't think there's really any, any doubting that anymore. And yeah, that, that no. Dan Patrick interview I, I alluded to was, I think it was in 2017. So it's amazing to see how far we've come just in the last three years in terms of, uh, of how that's seen. So you, oh, big you've, time. you've been involved in that. Um, and then I, I just, it was funny. I called your, uh, I called your phone and, and got your voicemail with your son, which is uh, adorable <laughs> or your daughter. I, th I can't remember which one it was, but just it's absolutely. Adorable. Son, yeah. <laughs> and he's talking about uh, ready list sports. And I, so just explain to me quickly, this is an interactive playbook, but it's good for all different types of learning. How, how is that? Definitely. Um, the, the concept was born from, from a friend of mine who uh, he played at Colorado school of mines. He was a player of the year, Harlan Hill trophy winner quarterback, uh, an amazing kid, played two sports at Colorado School of Mines for three years until his senior year. He just focused on football. So just a brilliant kid, photographic memory, smart as hell, engineer, you know, way smarter than me. <laughs> so he came to me uh, right at the time when I was just wondering what the hell I'm going to do next with this idea and the concept. And it was a 300 page PowerPoint presentation about a better way to learn a playbook, utilizing multiple learning styles, because even still today, they just give you the information. Um, they provide you with video, with instruction, with breakdown of the plays, but there's no real way to ensure that these guys are going home and taking the time to learn it in the correct way. Um, however you study is how you study. And so when I met him in 05, he went on to nine teams in seven years trying to make it, but he would struggle to learn that big, thick playbook. And this is a kid, like I said, an engineer at a Colorado School of Mines with a photographic memory, he's thinking to himself, if I'm struggling, then most everybody on this team is struggling to learn this offense. So he came up with the concept kind of similar to the Rosetta Stone for learning a foreign language. Mm -hmm. Football is just terminology, right? It's all nomenclature. It's what I call a slant on one offense. It's called a, a dragon on one offense or called something else. An in route is a curl, is a hook. It's all just terminology. So like the Rosetta Stone, he found a better way to, to make learning more efficient. And that's what we've now developed through um, a couple different iterations, a couple betas, a couple different companies trying to learn how to program this thing correctly. We've got a company out of Colorado Springs that has done it. And we've got, uh, it, it's in an app format. So your kids, whether they're seven, eight, nine, ten, up to like professional leagues, all the way, you know, five on five, all the way through 11 on 11. We've got all the, all the bases covered. Uh, if you're a brand new coach to the game and you have no idea how to, how to formulate an offense, our, our program comes preloaded with 
all of the most common football plays in the game. Um, we have offense and defense now. Special teams is being developed. We're being, and also what's being developed is the ability to embed video and then also voice recognition so that, you know, quarterbacks can say the play, players can talk and be, and be quizzed in another form of learning. Uh, so that's where we're at. We've, we've come a long ways. We're still fighting uh, against the habitual coaches that like to do it a certain way. But, but coaches, you know, as they get older, the younger kids that come in, they're learning through screens. They're learning remotely. They're learning by touching a pad of, uh, of a screen, not writing on a pad of paper. So we've developed what is the, the future of learning. It's just now finding those coaches to buy in. A coach like Adam Gase with the New York Jets. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury used it in Arizona with, with Kyler Murray uh, prior to last season, right at the, the very beginning of camp. They used it a, a bunch to help them learn in a fast, efficient way. So we're, we're, in, we're on the cusp of something big, and now it's just a matter of getting coaches to use it, players to use it, and then uh, we'll see where that goes. As a, you know, For me, as a tech entrepreneur with no background in school for that, but more or less just being a quarterback and knowing how to run a team and manage things and uh, to trust your instincts. It's, it's given me the ability to dive into this and, and, and make some good headway, make some progress, and uh, hopefully provide a tool that's going to help alleviate the stress of learning the game. Um, like I said earlier, the Peyton Manning effect where the game has trickled down into the lower levels. Uh, we're asking 12, 13-year-olds to think at a high level and to, to, to go into a game and process things at a high level when they're being coached by a coach that's not a Mike Shanahan, but he's a guy that coaches, that teaches history and now coaches the offense for, you know, such and such high school in some small town. We're trying to provide a tool that helps them to give to their kids to, to learn the game and alleviate the stress to go out, play fast, play free. And we think play a little more safer and uh, have fun while you're out there. Ready, ready list sports is the name of the company. Jake yep. Plummer's a co-founder. Where can you find that? Is there a website? Yeah, readylistsports.com. And uh, like I said, go there. Any coach that's interested, there's some demo videos. You can sign up for a more in-depth demo. Um, we're all about customer service right now, building our client base because it's, it's small, but it's growing steadily in a lot of high schools, a lot of regions around the U.S. We're in hot pursuit of a couple NFL teams, uh, close to signing, a, to signing a, a couple NFL teams and a couple big-time college programs. Um, but otherwise, we're just, like I said, getting through this COVID moment and this time that we've been in, people are realizing uh, there's got to be a better way to reach your players for them to learn. And, and we've developed it. We've, we've got what it takes. We've got the program you need. So the more coaches that buy in, the better for us. And uh, we appreciate the plug there, Dana. Thank you. <laughs> of course, Jake. I appreciate the time, man. It was really a pleasure. I loved watching you when you played. I, I, I love hearing about your success in the post-playing career and, and uh, obviously have a lot in common with you with the, the kids and the, you know, the being a family man now, and I, I wish the best to you. And I just promise me this, Jake, when I do get up to Coeur d'Alene at some point and, and play on those pickleball courts in Hayden, you're, you're going to come out there and we're going to have a beer and play a little pickle. Let's do it, man. That or golf or anything, man. I'm down for whatever. I even got a, a skateboard recently. So I'm trying to, <laughs> to learn something new and not break my wrist doing it. But just uh, anything, man. I'm down for some fun, and I appreciate you know you too. Congrats on all you've done, and and finding uh, something to do here post career is always a challenge. But uh, thanks for having me on the show, man. I really appreciate you reaching out. Absolutely, Jake. Take it easy, brother. All right, you have a good one, Dan. 